death and you've provided victory for us. Thank you for the work that was done there on the cross. You are victorious. You are our Savior. You are our hope. Not only in death, but you are our hope. This morning, as we continue our series on the Great Interruption, we have a, a guest with us that's going to share a little bit about how God has interrupted his life and the difference that that has made. Vivian Skillman, sitting down here, many of you know that she has introduced us to a ministry called The Heart for Inmates, in which we as a church have the opportunity to write uh, various inmates that we've been connected with at Westgate, and that's been a, a tremendous difference in a number of people's lives. And uh, to Jimmy Hayes is with us today. Jimmy is one of those former inmates, and God really has transformed his life, and he wanted the opportunity to come and thank you as a church. So, but before you come and speak, Jimmy, how many of you are writing inmates right now? You're a part of this ministry to write inmates. And, and we have room for more, Vivian. We always have room for more people to jump in and, and join. Need a guy right there. Somebody signed up. But Jimmy, it is a delight to have you with us. You, you uh, initiated the opportunity to come over here to say thank you to us as a church family. And we're excited about how God has interrupted your life and made such an enormous change. So would you come and share again? I know you shared in the first service, and you've got to do it again. But, man, it, it's blessing our hearts so much. So you get, step up there on the stage and go at it, man. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Good morning. Give an honor to God, the Holy Spirit, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I stand before you today just saying thank you. I, I met, met, met Mr. Vivian and also Mr. Jackie about five years ago while incarcerated, struggling, having a hard time, no letters from home, no... It seemed like no one cared in, in the process. I mean, I lost hope. You know, I had given up on life. Uh, and I thought I would manipulate Miss Vivian and gave me some money. Her first response was, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to get that. And I kind of felt offended, so I stopped writing. Wrote again, because she, she continuously wrote me. She, she bombarded me with letters telling me how good Jesus was, how, how God had a plan for my life. And... Once again, I, I stopped writing them because I needed some stamps. <laughs> she didn't send the stamps either, so. <laughs> I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to write. Of course, Miss Vivian, Vivian never gave up. She continued to write. Somewhere during the course of time, God entered my heart, and he changed me from the inside out. I can't explain to you how privileged I feel to be called a Christian. I thought they were wimps. I thought they were funny people. But I found out that they had a savior that redeemed them, that this made them feel worth something. And now things, I've been out 11 months. I have not turned, returned to the streets of crime, drugs, alcohol. I refuse to do that because it embarrasses my Lord and it taints my, my testimony. I have a, a visitor with me today. It was a lady I married in 1982. She saw the worst in me. 
but now she sees the best in me. We're just friends. Of course, I want to marry her again, but she's, she's like Miss Vivian. She's not having it. <laughs> but I, I, I want to thank y'all, all those that contribute to that prison ministry, all those that signed those papers, all those who pray for us. You may not reach but one, but you've touched me and you've touched my entire family. You know, there are some that don't believe in the ministry, don't believe in Christ. I'm not worried or concerned about them. I stay on the path that the Lord has me. And I appreciate Pastor Raymond. Just let me spend this time with you. Although I could tell you a story that you wouldn't want to hear. But it's good to see that a, a man of color can stand before y'all and say a prison ministry that I never knew you changed my life, made me a better man. And it's nothing that I've done. It's all for the Lord. I try to tell Miss Vivian all the time, thank you for what you've done. And she always said, well, thank Jesus. I didn't understand that until I had a, now that I have a relationship with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. He's a good, he's, he's everything. He's everything I ever needed. Um, I will hope to come back maybe in a year or so, have a Mercedes sitting outside. <laughs> if you don't see me, I didn't get the Mercedes. <laughs> but I, I do, I do know your ministry is working. And I not only touched me, but those that were around me. I was surrounded by men that when they called my, my number to come home, you don't see many tears in the penitentiary. And I saw tears of men saying, he's leaving. And I was like, well, don't cry because Jesus is for you too. The same thing he did for me, he'll do for you. Don't cry. Just, just be happy. Pastor, I'm not going to take up much of your time. I did have a, a script. I can't, I guess I got so nervous I left it out in the car <laughs> twice. <laughs> but I thank y'all for having me. I thank y'all for, for the prison ministry. I'll give kudos to Miss, Miss Vivian. I'm quiet as a cup. I call her Mama V. She is my mother. She's my mentor. She's my, she's my rock. She's my rock. Pastor, thank you for having me. Hope I didn't take up too much of your time. This morning service was awesome, so I'm not going to leave. I was going to hit the highway after this. I'm going to stay for the second sermon. <laughs> y'all, thank y'all. Jimmy, thank you, man. Thank you, thank you so much. Stand over here, man. We want to we wanna pray for you. Uh, that you have blessed us by reminding us of just that it does matter what we do. And I'd like to invite a number of you that would like to come down. Some of you are involved in the prison ministry. Some of you are not. Maybe you want to just... David, I want you to pray. I know you've been a part of uh, this prison ministry and writing and pray for Jimmy. But those of you that would like to come down and just stand by him and encourage him and let him know that we are standing with him in this ministry. Thank you all so much for being a part of this. And thank you for sharing, Jimmy.
You're going to give him a Mercedes? Is that what you said, Jeff? No. <laughs> Get you a Honda. It's a lot cheaper, man. Thank you all so much for your ministry. Jimmy, thank you for sharing with us. And Jimmy and I, we discovered in our conversations the last few weeks that, that uh, we're brothers, not only in Christ, but just born just within a few months of each other, similar in age. And uh, what a delight to have you here to encourage us and affirm us. In this, I, I didn't mention this in the first service, and um, I, I meant to, but I was in a two-hour meeting this last Thursday for the Bill Glass, uh, in which we are planning an event to go into the prisons, the local prisons here, in 2022, and we have an event planned for 2021 in the fall. And if anybody here wants to help out with that, we need about five people that would be a champion for that. And I want to push you as a church family to get five people that would say that they would do that, I think we've gotten really, 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 really good as a church of saying, I'll follow someone else. You champion it and I'll help. And we need people to say, I will champion this thing. And some of you are saying, we have no idea what the expectations are. I know, change lives, that's the expectation. So we need about five people to help out with that and uh, see what God's gonna do. Thanks for sharing, Jimmy. Cynthia Askins wrote about her cat disappearing several years ago, and it was a very unusual event because her cat normally didn't stray from the house, but she had been gone, he had been gone for now three days, and on the fourth day when they were driving from their neighborhood, they discovered their cat on the side of the road. Heartbroken, they scooped up the remains and went to their backyard and tearfully had a very sad funeral. The next morning, Cynthia woke up to the sound of meowing at the front door. When she opened the front door, she discovered that it was their cat. She said to her husband, honey, either we buried the wrong cat or we have to rename him Lazarus because he just rose from the dead. <laughs> well, the truth is they buried the wrong cat. But today we come to, to John chapter 11 in which we have that incredible piece of history about Lazarus. And from this episode in time, we're gonna see that when God has other plans, he still speaks to us. This is part one as we go through John chapter 11 where we're kind of in a bridge point here. Because in John 10, the public ministry of Jesus came to an end. That was when he was driven out of Jerusalem by the religious leaders who were trying to stone him. In John chapter 11, we find Jesus on the other side of the Jordan where he had retreated away from the religious leaders, not out of fear, but simply out of preparation for what was about to come. The first part of the book of John, those 10 chapters that we went through, took us from the be beginning of time, before time began, in John chapter 1 to John chapter 10, just a few months before Jesus would be crucified. And now, as we enter John 11, we are just weeks away from Jesus' final week before being crucified. It's the end of his public ministry, and in this particular chapter, we will see Jesus 
perform his greatest miracle up until this point. The greatest is yet to come, obviously, with his own resurrection. Now, what we're about to see is John helping us to be reminded that the other three Gospels have already been written. John's was the last of the four Gospels, and the other three covered very similar material, but John brings about 90% of unique material to us, and the story, this history of Lazarus, is one of those pieces of history. And so John, is, as he writes, he is assuming that his readers have already read the other three Gospels, and they're aware of these people and these places and these times. Let's go through the story. I want to read it so we have a, a, or a refresher course of what actually happens. It says in verse 1 that there was a man named Lazarus who was sick, and John's just saying, yes, there was a man named Lazarus, but he is not the central character of the story. He was from Bethany, which tells us proximity where he was, the village of Mary and, his sister Mar and her sister Martha. And again, what he is saying there is you've already read the other three Gospels. You know about Mary and Martha and the impact that they had in Jesus' ministry. This Mary, it says in verse 2, was brother, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, John wouldn't write about that until the next chapter. We're not going to see that until John chapter 12, but it already happened decades prior to John writing. He's assuming that everybody knows about that. He's setting the table for us to understand who the characters are. So the sisters, the sisters that everybody knew about, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Remember, this is Bethany, a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan, at least a day's journey away, and they send a note to him, knowing full well that he would be interested in knowing that Lazarus is sick and that he would come to help out in healing of his sickness. So there's the, the basic framework. Lazarus is sick to the point of death. The sisters send a note to Jesus a day's journey away, the note is received by Jesus, and look what happens in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Listen to this next phrase. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That just doesn't make sense, does it? That's why this message is called when God has other plans. We'll go on through the story and we will find that when Jesus finally does show up, he's greeted first of all by Martha and then by Mary and they say the exact same thing. We see it in verse 21 and verse 32. First of all, in verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary later comes out, and she says the exact same thing in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said that to God? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. What do we do when God has other plans? Many times we chafe in anger, frustration, disillusionment, disappointment, oftentimes turning away from God because 
He didn't do what we thought he should do. We all have experienced that. At some point in our life, some to the deepest depths of heartache and pain. Some it may not have been that significant or that serious, but we were brokenhearted nonetheless. What do we do when God has other plans? Well, before we see, I want us to just get a sense of the chaos that's going on here. This is such an incredible piece of history and the way that John describes it. Listen to the conversation that's going on. It says that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. So they receive this message, he's sick. Two more days, he stays there. And then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse 8. Phrases that we have repeated many times, but Rabbi, but Jesus, but God. A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Remember, chapter 10 was the second time that they had tried to stone Jesus, and he had left, and now he had retreated over to the other side of Jordan, and now he says, let's go back to where they tried to stone me twice. And they're saying, that may not be the best idea. And then in verse 9, it says, Jesus answered by saying, there's 12 hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when persons walk at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Do you feel like the disciples now? He wants us to go back where they tried to kill him. Now he's talking about this daylight thing, and if you walk in the day, you don't stumble. It's kind of confusing. And what Jesus is saying is until it's my time, until I decide to lay down my life, nothing is going to stop me. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going there to wake him up. So here's the tension. They know that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus says now we need to go back to him because he's sick. And they say, wait a second, they tried to kill you the last time that we were there. And then he says, I'm going to go back because he's fallen asleep. And then it says, but Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. A reprieve. We don't have to go back. And then Jesus, speaking to his disciples, was talking about death, but they thought he meant natural sleep. They're confused, like many of you are right now. So verse 14, it says, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And notice the next phrase, and for your sake, I'm glad. And we're all lost. Wait a second. He's asleep, but now he's dead. We didn't go, but now we are going to go. And then, notice what Thomas says. Thomas said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. How do you feel like he said that? Do any of you feel like Eeyore here? Let us go as well that we may die with him. Maybe. But maybe Thomas was so distraught after the resurrection because he was so loyal to Christ and then he was disillusioned when Christ died 
that that's why he doubted. Maybe Thomas is reflecting a loyalty that none of the disciples really had. Let's go back to Judea and we'll all die together. And it says when they arrived back, rather than being bombarded by stones, they got there, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This is very common. People would come, very uniquely different than our culture. People would come and they would mourn with you for at least a week, oftentimes for a month. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Again, reflection of their personalities. Martha is proactive and Mary is very relaxed. We hear that same statement. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, at first we might say, she's kind of chastising Jesus. If you hadn't delayed and you had gotten here on time, he wouldn't have died. But as we'll see in a moment, he was probably already dead when Jesus received the message. But she was probably saying the same thing that her sister said. If we had only contacted you earlier. Sometimes our heartache is that we feel like we didn't do it right, and if we had, there was an equation that would have stopped whatever broke our heart. If we had put their name on more prayer lists, if we had contacted more churches to pray for them, if we had fasted, if we had done something different, this wouldn't have happened. That's probably how they felt both of them. And then Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered very pensively, I know. He'll rise in the, again in the resurrection at the last day. I'm like, yeah, I know. One day, sometime way out in the future, but we'll never see him again. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Oh, he is painting such an incredible picture here. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha goes back. Yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. But that's the only consolation I have right now. But God had other plans. When God has other plans for us, and we find ourselves heartbroken and disillusioned, I want us to be reminded of three principles that may help us. When you hear these, you may not think that they're going to help you. And they may not help you. There's no quick fist quick fixes to being brokenhearted, to tragedy and sorrow. But these may. They are, when God has other plans, remember his time zone, his target, and his tenderness. Just a few words, a few thoughts that might help us in this part one, and we'll finish next week in John chapter 11. But when God has other plans, remember his time zone. Uniquely in this culture, 
people were buried on the exact same day that they died. A year and a half ago, I was over in India. I had the privilege of being over there to just try to support and encourage Christian brothers and sisters. And on the trip, we were taken to a crematorium, much different than anything that you would see in the United States. You have probably seen these on the news with the eruption of COVID over in India. A large open area with a few pavilions, very large place, in which as you walk in, you see just stall after stall after stall where fires are burning. On first pass, you don't realize what's taking place. But every one of these are funeral pyres in which a body is being burned. And the ashes will be taken and put out in the Ganges River, the Holy River as they believe. And the whole idea is that the spirit needs to be released from the body so they destroy the body. And it has to be done the same day as they die. That's where Lazarus is. In that culture, no embalming. He'd been placed in the grave that day, wrapped in all of these cloths with alloys and perfume. And now we see here that it's the fourth day when Jesus arrived. The fourth day is when the body begins to decompose. And I know that sounds morbid and gross. That's where we are. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. His body now, when Jesus arrives, is beginning to decompose. One day for the messenger to take the message to Jesus. By the time got there, Lazarus had died. And Jesus, in his omniscience, knew that. Yet he still wanted to teach the disciples a very important lesson about who he was. Then he stayed there for two days. That's three days. And then he came back to Bethany on the fourth day that Lazarus had been in the grave. It says that this sickness will not end in death. But Lazarus is already dead. It has ended in death, right? No. Because Jesus lives in a different time zone. In our time zone, when someone dies, they don't come back to life. But in Jesus' time zone, crazy things happen. When I was over in India, I would call back for people's birthdays. One of the things that I had fun doing was I would get up, er, get up early in the morning, 10 and a half hours difference. And you say, 10 and a half? Yeah, the reason is New Delhi is in between two time zones. And so rather than going an hour earlier or an hour late, maybe smart, they split the difference. That's why they're 10 and a half hours different than us. So I would get up early in the morning. On the person's birthday that I was calling, and I would call back in time because it would be the day before here. And I would say, happy birthday. And they would say, well, it's not really my birthday. And I said, yeah, it is. And I'd be calling back in time. Completely different time zone. It's kind of fun. And if I stayed up really late, I, I mean, I, I, could, I, I could have fun with this. You think about the international dateline. There used to be an island in, in Fuji where you could go and you could stand on the international date line so that you could step over into yesterday 
or into today. Or you could step over here and jump into tomorrow. And if you were there on New Year's, you could go from one year to the other. You can't do that anymore because they moved it. Or think about the space station. Just talking about different time zones. The space station circles the Earth every 90 minutes, going from west to east to take advantage of the rotation of the Earth. And so every 90 minutes it goes around the planet. That means 16 different times in the course of one day it could change the calendar. But while people are circling in the space station, they're not getting younger, are they? You would think they should be like 16 days younger if they keep going that way. And eventually they'll come back and they won't even be alive. They haven't even been born yet. Time doesn't work that way for us. But it does for God. There are no limitations to what Christ can do. It was providential that Jesus knew that Lazarus had already died. It wasn't a surprise. It didn't catch him by surprise. And he showed up just in time. God is never late, but he's seldom early. We get in a rush, don't we? Even now, you're sitting there saying, I wish he would finish this message. Speed it up. We get in a rush. We want things to be quick. But all through Scripture, you never once find Jesus in a rush. And so what Jesus is saying to Martha and Mary, thinking that there's no hope for their brother to come back to life, he's saying, as he says to us, never put a period where God puts a comma. Which is going to lead us to the second thing to remember. Why you never put a period where God puts a comma is because God's target when he has other plans is his glory. When God has other plans, remember his target. What is your target in life? You might say, well, I've got a vocation, a job, a family, passion, interest. But really, what is our target in life? Comfort and security. I would dare say that is a target for every last one of us. Me included. How do I come up with these things? We want comfort. We don't want to be unsettled. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to have conflict in relationships. We want things to be comfortable and easy. That's our target. And many times when we pray, we're saying, God, here's my target. Would you answer my prayer so that I will be comfortable and secure? The security of finances, the security of a job, security of relationships. We want to be secure of our health. Think about Publishers Clearinghouse. Can any of you survive on $5,000 a week? Yeah, I think I could too. The only problem is, with all the people that put all those papers in there thinking that you're increasing your chances, you need to remember, the Publishers Clearinghouse only has a drawing every 500 years. Doesn't it feel that way? I mean, you can send a zillion of those things in and you never hear about anybody winning. But we think, I would be secure. But what is the difference between our target and God's target? Look at verse 5. It's for God's glory. This sickness won't end in death. Jesus already knew what he's going to do. But he's saying it is for God's glory. 
The disciples, remember what they reminded Jesus of? There's danger awaiting us if we go back in that area. That was their target, avoid danger, i.e., comfort and security. Avoid danger, you experience comfort and security. They reminded Jesus of the danger. Jesus reminded them of his mission. See, his mission for our life, and this is so hard for us to get, it's so hard for me to get as Western Christians, especially when you walk the streets of India and you have meals with Christian brothers and sisters in another country where they're persecuted. Life is so different. They're not looking for comfort and security. They're looking for God's glory. And that's exactly what Jesus said. All of this is happening for God's glory. You see, there's not an experience in our life, not an experience one that any of us will ever have that can't give God glory. God can extract glory from any situation. Why? Because he's the giver of life. And glory is... Seeing God's glory is our greatest need. Now, I know that when I'm talking about comfort and security, all of you are right there. I mean, you just look so relaxed, comfortable, secure. But what if? What if in the middle of this message, all of a sudden, the roof on this sanctuary was just lifted like a lid on a pan? I mean, nothing was torn. It's just perfectly lifted right off of here. And as it's pulled back, we see Jesus looking down upon it. And he says, hey, some of you would dive under the pews. We would just be spellbound. It's like, how did this happen? We would be seeing the glory of God and our perspective on life would change. Everything that you're putting on your phone right now, all the notes that you're thinking about, all the to-do lists that you're trying to formulate right now, all the things that you're thinking about what you're going to do next would be gone. You'd be thinking about the glory of Jesus. What is the glory? It is God being revealed in who he really is. That's the whole essence of this story, this history, is Jesus is taking his disciples and all of those mourners. It said that so many of those people came as mourners. They didn't come just to be a part of the mourning party. They came to see a miracle. Jesus wants us to experience his glory, and that's why he says this experience happened. He doesn't just give life, he is life. We don't put our hope in something, we put our hope in someone. Jesus had already raised two people from the dead. We see that in the other three Gospels. We know what he can do. And Jesus is saying, we're going to go to Lazarus' tomb so that you can see who I really am. When you're in the midst of sadness, or disappointment, or disillusionment. You're probably thinking, Lord, would you resolve this? Would you take it away? Would you heal me? That's our target. How quickly can we get past this? And Jesus said, would you allow me to reset your sights on the target of experiencing my glory, to see and experience me in a way that you've never had? So when God has other plans, we need to remember that he lives in a different time zone. He is not limited by time or space. We need to remember that he has a different target than us. His target isn't our comfort and our security. It's his glory. And when God has other plans, remember his tenderness. It sounds so calloused here, doesn't it? When it says that Jesus 
said that Lazarus is sick, so he stayed two more days. It's like, if you love them, why did you stay? Because he wanted them to see something that they wouldn't otherwise. When sadness comes our way, disappointment, heartache, we tend to believe that God is against us. We often shake our fist in rebellion and say, how could you? As if God is trying to hurt us in some way. But don't miss his tenderness. It says here in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But go back to verse 3. The sisters sent a note to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Stay with me for just a moment. The note that they sent said, Lord, the one that is your best friend, phileo. In the original language, there are, many, there are different shapes for love, different definitions, different words. The one that you love, like a best friend, he's sick. But Jesus, it says in verse 5, loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And it's a different word. It's agape. It's a type of love that never stops. It's unending. It's divine. Jesus loves us more than we love him. Sit on that phrase for a minute. Because what oftentimes happens is we project our love for Jesus on his love for us. And we feel kind of like, okay, I love Jesus, but, you know, I love hamburgers too. And there's a little bit of that disconnect. But we need to remember that Jesus loves us more than we can even imagine loving him. Remember his tenderness when life feels tough. So it feels like God has other plans for you. Remember his time zone, remember his target, and his tenderness. And none of that can be experienced without a relationship to God. God loves us, and he's created us to have a relationship with him. He loves us more than we can ever begin to imagine. But we have a problem. Our sin separates us just like death separates us from our loved ones. It is a chasm that cannot be bridged except for Jesus Christ. Jesus can make us right with God. And by humbly repenting of our sins and surrendering our life to him, we can be changed for all of eternity. If anyone here has never done that, I want to invite you to pray with me in just a moment. It's the greatest need of anybody's life. It's a greater need than Lazarus had of being raised from the dead. And if you're already a Christian, might you pray for yourself or someone else? Maybe you know someone right now that is in the throes of heartache. And you say, God, would you minister to them and help them to know of your tenderness and the glory that you can extract from this experience? And to recognize that even though the timeline seems off to them, it might be right where you need them to be. So let's pray together. God, I pray that if anybody here has never received you as Lord and Savior, understand how fully and completely you love them, that this would be the day that they would say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness.
Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, messages like this can land in so many different places of our lives. Some of us are in the throes of grief, heartbroken, wrenched out, worn out. So sad it's hard to figure out how we can carry on. It may sound like platitudes of just remembering your time zone and your target and your tenderness. Would you help us to better understand what that means? To understand that you are Lord over all things, that nothing is above your pay grade, nothing is impossible with you. And might we surrender ourselves completely to you to find your tenderness, administering your grace to us in the toughest of days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. If you want someone to pray with you, I'll be standing over at the crosses in just a moment as we sing this last song. You may want to be thinking about next steps as a Christian. Maybe you prayed to receive Christ and you want someone to, to talk with you about that what baptism is about. Maybe you want to talk about church membership. We'll be in the atrium after the service again. You notice that you can text Westgate to 94,000. Just let us know who you are and we'll get in touch with you via phone and we can begin a conversation. So let's think about what God would have us to experience today as we stand together and as we continue in worship. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness gone? In our great Redeemer's blood, holds our faith when fears arise.
bless you. Have a great rest of the week.